This is SG2 Perspectives, a conversation with SG2 experts and industry thought leaders about the biggest trends in healthcare and what we expect that's going to mean for the future of healthcare delivery. For our growth-oriented teams, it's a real challenge as they try to get the organization back on track and thinking about growth. They're scratching their head a bit, coming to us and saying, I can put these growth goals out there, but I'm not sure that this program is even going to be open and it'll even be possible to hit these numbers. Welcome to SG2 Perspectives. I'm your host, Trevor Durin. At the beginning of each year, SG2 as a future-focused group of strategists force ourselves to nail down what we believe will be the top trends, biggest issues, opportunities across the healthcare landscape, and really, what are the things we're going to be talking about in the year ahead? To do that today, I have three of our most renowned thought leaders, Jennifer O'Connor, Steve Jenkins, Bill Woodson, names, faces, and voices that all of you probably recognize. Bill, we'll go to you first. Every conversation that we have with members right now, there's a workforce element hanging over it, even if that's not the topic of conversation. As leadership teams think about the year ahead, how are the workforce dynamics going to color everything that we do in 2022? Trevor, it's humbling. I spoke with a client earlier this week about a retreat that they're going to do on ambulatory footprint and ambulatory growth. She's the head of strategy saying, everyone else in the organization besides me is focused on managing day-to-day and our workforce challenges. And specifically in this organization on that day, there were 600 people out of work for a variety of reasons. And they had closed their open heart unit because of staffing. And this is just a reality that will continue. And the data is equally humbling. The Bureau of Labor Statistics data shows about 90,000 healthcare workers just left last year. It's a quit rate, as they quoted. We probably have at least 100,000 nursing vacancies right now. What it means is that it puts a lens on decision-making throughout 2022, how you manage your top line, your bottom line, who's available to participate in your long list of priorities. Let me go to Jennifer, who fields a lot of our workforce questions on the challenges and I do. Jennifer, what's your observation here? For our growth-oriented teams, it's a real challenge as they try to get the organization back on track and thinking about growth. They're scratching their head a bit, coming to us and saying, yep, I can put these growth goals out there, but I'm not sure that this program is even going to be open and it'll even be possible to hit these numbers. There's just a level of fatigue, and that even sounds trite as I say it, that folks just can't deal with one more thing on the to-do list. I just saw the most recent staffing report from our colleagues over at VIA, which was formerly Vizient Contract Labor. The numbers are just staggering. Bill, you quoted some of the vacancy numbers, and it really hasn't let up. If you look at what people are demanding from a contract labor perspective, it has been off the charts for months and months and months. This is normally cyclical, right? We get a little bit of a breathing room, and that just hasn't happened for the past six months. I think the thing that finally brought it in focus for me, we were at a conference in November with a bunch of HR leaders. Workforce was top of mind. They shared that in their organization, they had created this big campaign to get everyone excited about growth and it was going to kick off the new year. They started to debut it with some of the management level folks and the clinical folks literally stood up and said, I cannot go with you on that journey. I am so tired from the day to day. And I think we've had challenges to growth before, but not like that. 
Toward the end of last year, we saw an announcement from Intermountain about their commitment to education for their employees of any sort to help them in their professional development. So it's the retention side of the equation that's amazing. Now we're also seeing relocation bonuses, uh, very high dollar amounts. There's a lot of activity that will hopefully help this, but it also raises the stakes for your organization. Can I offer a helpful observation on this topic, Trevor? Please. As real and present and painful as the workforce constraints that our members face every day are, what we know is that when organizations, when people face real constraints, that's when innovation happens. That's when you start to break the rules. That's when you change a clinical process of care where you treat a patient in a setting of care you never thought possible. The hopeful side to this is we know that real change happens when we're forced to change. The workforce constraints we feel today and will continue to feel are going to drive change. It's going to be exciting to see what form that takes. That's well said, Steve. Bill, I'll pivot back to you with all that in mind. The focus for our year ahead was so many folks at health systems have to be heads down right now. They're worried about who's going to show up tomorrow. They're worried about an immediate fire. We're encouraging, and it's usually strategy teams, a few people have to have their heads up looking forward. We've put together a new framework for how to think about growth opportunities for health systems. Connect those dots here. We know workforce, margin, all that's going to be a constraint. How are we encouraging systems to still think about growth? We encourage two things. Make sure someone is paying attention to the growth equation and know that it's not an on-off switch. It's a multi-year journey that requires investment of time, energy, and of course, capital. And above and beyond what many of you are doing, which is investing in and expanding your ambulatory footprint, our equation brings together three different elements. The first is relevance to your consumers and to your payers through a variety of approaches. So relevance first, then diversification. And that relates to two areas, your core clinical products, and then some adjacencies or diversification of your revenue streams. A lot of our large health systems are going about that very aggressively right now because they have sufficient cash flow and balance sheets to do it with lots of options. So there's a lot of partnership and almost private equity-like investment going on with large systems right now. The third element is scalability. That is scale of your reach in the marketplace geographically and otherwise with your consumer base and the activation of your strategy as well. How quickly do you go to market? How well do you deploy your strategy? How well do you effectively implement in a shorter and shorter time frame? And Trevor, we've talked about overused words. Agile is certainly one of them, but that is the mindset for a new growth strategy for sure. Trevor, I offered the hopeful message on workforce. Can I offer the sobering message on growth? Yeah. The sobering message on growth is when we looked at our forecast for inpatient demand and laid that against profitability, 8% of the inpatient portfolio shows significant profitability and a significant growth outlook. That suggests to me, we're going to have some very intense market share wars around that 8% that's growing and profitable. The focus for the rest of the inpatient portfolio is going to be more about operational efficiency, clinical performance improvement, but it's going to be intense. That finding is part of a new set of inpatient analyses we've been doing with members. And Jennifer, we're kind of teeing that up as systems start to think about growth and they swallow that tough pill of thinking about what the inpatient landscape is going to look like, how are we encouraging them to segment that business and think about it in a few different ways? 
We're looking for that conversation starter. How do we step into a conversation with growth despite the background we just talked about? A very tired workforce who might find it hard to get excited about that. Given the change in the last two years, it's the right time to step back and take a look at our business. And we've been describing it as doing the same kind of thing you do with your own retirement portfolio, any investment portfolio. What is the current state of our business? What are the conditions that might cause us to need to change what's in that portfolio? And if you look at the array of what's been our acute care business, we took a look at this data nationally. Yours locally could look a little different. Steve mentioned that it's a slim slice that is that highly desirable 8% that's got double-digit growth numbers behind it, those complex procedures that have typically driven so much of the profitability for your inpatient business. There's another slice of procedures that still happen in the acute care setting, but they're shifting outpatient increasingly. It's less than 5% of the book of business in the acute care facility, and it's got flat growth because a lot of that is shifting to HOPD or even ASC settings. Steve's right. This is a big question on that segment of the portfolio that's been the star performer, great returns year over year. How do you keep that up when everybody wants a piece of that? Those market share wars will be very real. Bill talked about differentiation in that growth formula. This is really the right time for folks to ask themselves some tough questions. We do this a lot in our planning course. We ask people to consider differentiation as the key underpinning of their strategy effort. When we do the exercise in the course, people are sometimes a little humbled to realize how hard that is to really get to something that's meaningful and and differentiated. That's that portion of our business that we want more of. If you look at the tail end, there's a whole portion of our business that's inpatient today that has very slim, if not negative margins. Many of those DRGs have been flagged as things that perhaps we should consider shifting out of our acute care centers. Maybe that's part of our care at home conversation, which has been so popular and is one of the number one questions when we are working with exec teams and boards, helping them work through decisions right now. Care at home has absolutely been top of the list. Back to that financial portfolio idea, what might we need to rebalance? What might we proactively push out of the acute care center, maybe some of those things, the conditions are right in our market. And we want to go ahead and free up space in the inpatient setting for something else. And then there's this whole big chunk, a really surprising 60% of all the stuff that's happening in our acute care facility is kind of a mishmash of stuff that we've appropriately called the, the messy middle. And there it's modest margins. So now we're just back to blocking and tackling How do we really get good at deciding which services to do where? Who does it most efficient? There's a service distribution play there. And just being really good operators. How do we manage length of stay? Let's go back and revisit that. It's the work that our colleagues at Busyant do when you work with them and your clinical database efforts to manage cost and efficiency and quality. And it's going to be more important than ever. Most of our teams will be very happy when their inpatient mix looks like that again, even as challenging as it is from a growth and planning perspective. I'm going to jump to the outpatient side. We've talked on this podcast and other medium about our approaches to inventory planning. So we won't go that big. We'll be more specific around just M&A trends across different sites throughout the system of care. We're going to do a whole episode where we dig deeper here. But from a year ahead, why is this something that we are paying close attention to, Jennifer? 
the headlines have always been around those big mega mergers, system to system, and they're big dollars, and some of them fall apart at the end. There's a lot of talk about those, but as we've been looking at it, this is part of your strategy for growing and building your system of care. Part of the reason it's on the radar right now is there's more competition than ever. We have so many folks that are non-traditional healthcare providers who have decided to jump in to our care continuum and own a part of it. Right now, we see it most acutely in two spots, certainly in primary care, and we could talk all day about that, so I'll hold on that one, but also on specialty physicians and the ASCs that they so often own. Our hospitals have really gotten the message about outpatient shift. They are committed to an ambulatory strategy. They are having conversations with physicians in their market about what might make sense, and they're not the only ones having those conversations. And the other folks having those conversations could be payers, They could be private equity-backed companies, large physician groups with money behind them, both of whom have lots more flexibility and deeper pockets when they look at aligning and investing in some of those assets. It's a a challenging landscape with a real importance behind it because we've seen the double-digit growth numbers, ASC growth 25% in the coming years. So definitely top of mind. Steve, similarly, health equity, it's been a big, tough nut to crack for health systems. We're going to do a whole series this year of podcasts and other content around health equity. But we've also had kind of a year to think about this and our members have had a year to think about it. What are we encouraging our health system members to do as they focus their efforts around health equity? It was so inspiring to see the response as The pandemic brought into sharp relief all of the inequities around access to healthcare services, inequities around health outcomes. It generated a surge of interest, of positive intent, of activity. We're in the now what phase. We were fortunate last year to help lead a Vizient-wide collaborative, 51 members focused on the issue of health equity. Two quick lessons from that. First lesson, we know that a lot of the broader social ills transportation, housing, food insecurity underpin inequities, but they are way bigger than all of us. They've been with us for decades. While we stay engaged with partners, with governmental authority on those broader issues, this accelerator group quickly recognized that where they could have the greatest impact was focusing on those things they could more directly influence. How can we remedy disparities in diagnostic screening and outcomes for key disease states like cancer? So that's kind of lesson one. Lesson two, they recognize that we need to bring the same level of focus and analytical rigor to health equity as we do to our growth strategy, to our quality improvement strategy. And that spawned a lot of really good work that is still underway to build analytical tools to both understand in the communities you serve, how vulnerable you are to health inequities and what's behind that, but then more tangibly for specific metrics where there are inequities, what are the most important levers you can pull? to have an impact on those in your community. That work's going to continue in the coming year. I walked away from those learnings really hopeful because this time last year, it seemed big and complex and super hard. And now it seems like at least our message is, hey, here's one opportunity to focus in that arena. That makes me hopeful and excited for this year because it's actually pretty quick progress. Agreed. At the end of the webinar, I asked one question. All right, we had these things on the radar that were the big priorities. What's something that's just off the radar? And all three of you had similar answers. 
that were kind of in the primary care physician group strategy space. What things there are you paying close attention to this year that makes one of the biggest impacts? Bill, I'll go to you first. As we continue to think about the future of primary care, we've identified that there's a decent percentage of your population in your market right now that's disengaged entirely from the healthcare delivery system. And maybe they're getting transactional visits at Virgin Care or telehealth. That strikes us as an enormous opportunity to activate those patients through primary care or perhaps getting them access to specialists that they truly need. It also connects to the health equity or inequity discussion that Steve just referenced. Why is that the case? There's a lot to dig into on the consumer engagement aspect of your growth strategy, as we mentioned in the formula that we discussed a little while ago. Steve, I know you were looking at this from a similar but slightly different angle. One of the topics we didn't talk about in the 2022 year ahead webinar, but we've spent a lot of energy on as a firm, is the assault on the front end of our system of care from a whole array of players, large and small, large like Amazon and Walmart, CVS Health, small like Iora and Oak Street extraordinarily well capitalized, each with their own ideas about how to bring primary care solutions to different segments of the market. What they're betting is that they can prey on some of the convenient shortcoming and price shortcomings of incumbent players like large health systems. So that assault on the front end of the system of care is continuing. There will be more failures than successes. That's the nature of innovation. But it's a very real threat. And there may come a time in the next five years when some of our members have to face the question, for a chunk of my community, do I cede a portion of primary care to some partner because they've got a better solution than I do and just make sure I have a strong relationship for downstream services? Or is there something I can do to really re-engineer my primary care to meet the convenience and price expectations of the community that I serve. Jennifer, your take on this was a little bit more from the health system and physician alignment coordination perspective. Maybe it's because we've been talking primary care and so much of our employed medical group at Health Systems is comprised by primary care. With all of these things happening, perhaps it shouldn't be surprising, but just get the sense as we're working with members that they are more willing to take a thoughtful pause and ask a question that a couple of years ago they would never have dared utter, which is, does it still make sense to employ all these physicians? Maybe a partnership with somebody to fill a certain segment, a type of primary care makes more sense than having the physicians employed and the subsidy that comes with that as a health system. Maybe it's because we talked a little bit in the Yearhead webinar about value-based care. Maybe in your market, it's moving forward. And so you're doubling down. They've realized in the employed physician organization to really make a go of it, they need the next generation of the physician compensation plan and the incentives that would support that effort. So just a lot more questions about the employed physician base. And if we are going to continue with that substantial investment, how do we really optimize it? We've got all these employed physicians working in different care models and different sites. What does the employed medical group need to do? Because it's really a key enabler for the health system of almost any strategy that they've got out there. All those questions you just asked are the type of questions our members are asking us to help with because they're big and complex. 
right? I was just talking with one of our colleagues in our consulting group. And literally, even if the project that members are asking for assistance with starts as a footprint question or a capital planning project or something related to the glide path for value-based care, when we sit down and scope it, it always ends up with a component of, okay, how do we fold the physicians in here? So it's just everywhere. Thanks to all three of you for going through those big themes quickly. There's going to be deeper content in so many of those areas. I'm really excited because I heard inspirational, hopeful messages from each of you about things we're looking forward to this year. I hope our members can embody that enthusiasm and bring that to their organizations and their operational clinical folks who are tired and are probably struggling to kind of look at their year ahead in as hopeful of a way. Thanks for sharing that today. And I look forward to having all of you back on very soon. Thanks so much for listening to SG2 Perspectives. As always, I really value your feedback, input, comments, or ideas for episodes, and you can reach us at sg2perspectives at sg2.com. Additionally, I recommend that you check out some of the other Vizient podcasts, which cover a range of clinical and operational areas. Those can all be found at vizientinc.com backslash podcasts. Mm-hmm.